Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Vision, in which we look at visions in the Bible in order to discern God's vision for different areas of our lives. Here's Pastor Nick. Amen. Amen. Good morning once again. Welcome to Whitefields Community Church. So good to be with you this morning. Please open with me again in your Bibles. 2 Kings chapter 6. We're currently in a series of messages just for the month of January called Vision. So usually here at Whitefields, one of the things we like to do is we like to study consecutively, verse by verse, through books of the Bible. But sometimes we take a break from that and we do a topical study where we go in depth on what the Bible has to say about a particular topic. And in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at vision. And the idea here is that we want to look at this idea of vision in the Bible in five different categories. So first of all, we looked at vision for your future. We talked last week about vision for your city. Today we're talking about vision for your situation. And next week, vision for your church. And finally, vision for others. As we're going through a series, our goal, right, is to seek God so that we can develop his vision for the things, these areas in our lives, uh, both as individuals and as a church. So let's go ahead and read our text this morning, and then we'll pray and get into our study. Our text comes from 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 8. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots, a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would bless our study this morning. Lord, we thank you that in every situation in our lives, Lord, we face unique challenges, but we also have unique opportunities. Lord, help us that we would have your vision for the things that we're going through. Lord, that we would act in step with you in the different areas where you've placed us, that we would see your purpose, your presence, and your power in everything that we do. And so, Lord, as we study your word, speak to us, give us ears to hear, and hearts that apply these things to our lives. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So the title of today's sermon is A Vision for Your Situation. And at any given moment in your life, you are facing certain situations, aren't you? It may be a good situation. It may be a bad situation. It may be a difficult situation. It may be a situation that you would have never chosen for yourself. Or it might be a time in your life where everything is falling into place. Everything seems to be firing on all cylinders. And you're amazed that everything seems to be going so incredibly well. But in whatever situation you are facing in your life, whatever situation you are in, there are always going to be both challenges and opportunities in that situation. Every situation you face presents you with unique challenges and unique opportunities. So whatever situation you find yourself in today, the question to be asking yourself is this, how do you develop and live out God's vision for your situation? How do you develop and live out God's vision for your situation? What we see in this text that we see here in 2 Kings chapter 6 is, that, um, is this. Developing God's vision for your situation and recognizing, it, it comes from recognizing three things. So to develop God's vision for your situation, you have to recognize three things. And those are God's presence, God's power, and God's purpose, but not in that order. It should be presence, purpose, and power, okay? So you're recognizing God's presence in your situation, God's purpose in your situation, and God's power in your situation. Let's begin walk through each of those things as we walk through this text. First of all, recognizing God's presence in your situation. Here in 2 Kings chapter 6, we read a story about Elisha. Now, Elisha, not to be confused with Elijah, right? This is Elisha with a sha and not Elijah with a ja, right? And so just in case you're confused who those two guys are, just know that Elijah came first. Uh, and Elisha was the student or the apprentice of Elijah. So we're talking about the latter one here, right? Elisha. So here in 2 Kings chapter 6, what's happening is Syria is attacking Israel and trying to conquer them. But what we see in the first few verses of the section we read, verses 8 through 10, is that God would speak to Elisha the prophet and he would tell him what the Syrians were planning to do, kind of what military maneuvers they were planning to make, where they were going to go and where they were going to attack. And then Elisha would pass that information on to the king of Israel. So the king of Israel would send their army to that place. They were always one step ahead. They could defend the attacks and they would, uh, you know, they would prevent a lot of bloodshed and loss of life. And it says in verse 11 of this section we read that the king of Syria was getting really frustrated by this. As you can imagine, the Israelis somehow seem to know what he's going to do every time before he does it. And he's so frustrated, he is convinced that there is a spy in his midst, in his you know, cabinet. He say, and he asks them, which one of you guys is passing on information to the Israelis about all the stuff that we talk about behind these closed doors? And he says, you know, one of you guys must be a spy. In verse 12, one of his advisors says, no, there's no spies among us. Rather, there's a prophet in Israel named Elisha, and somehow he's able to know everything you say, even what you say to your wife behind closed doors, like pillow talk, right? He's hearing it all. There's no secrets. Elisha is able to know it all. So the king of Syria hears that, and he says, well, then we've got to do something about this guy, Elijah. We, we've got to take care of him because we're never going to be able to conquer Israel as long as this guy Elisha is out there knowing every move that we make. So what he does, he sends an army to go and track down Elisha so that they can seize him and kill him. And so the soldiers, they say, well, we know where Elisha is at. He's staying in a city called Dothan. Now I want you to remember the name of that place because it's important. It's significant. We're going to come back to it in just a second. 
So, verse 14, the Syrian army sends horses and chariots. By the way, at this time, wheeled chariots pulled by horses. This was the most sophisticated military technology that exists. If you have uh, chariots with horses, you're at a huge advantage compared to people who don't. So this army with these horses and chariots, kind of the sophisticated military weaponry, all this training, this big army comes down to this little city of Dothan where Elisha the prophet is staying. And the whole army is there to capture one man, to capture Elisha. And so they surround the city with plans that they're going to take Elisha. They're going to extract him. Verse 15, in the morning, Elisha's servant gets up and he walks outside on the front porch, right? And he looks around. There's a Syrian army surrounding the city. And he freaks out, of course, right? There's no way out. They're trapped. There's an impossible situation. So he goes back inside the house and he tells Elisha about what's going on. He says, hey, we're surrounded. There's no way out. They've got us. They're, they're around the whole city. And he asks him in desperation, Elisha, what are we going to do? And Elisha tells him, verse 16, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, you can imagine the servant, he hears this, and he must have been thinking, first of all, what do you mean us, right? Like, they're not here for me, right? I could just walk out there right now. I can do whatever I want. They're not here for me. Don't be bringing me into this. Don't be calling us us. This is you. You're the one they're after. And secondly, you must be either delusional or really bad at math because there's two of us here. If there isn't us, there's two of us. And there's definitely more than two of them out there. So there's an army out there, and there's two of us in here. So Elisha's servant, right, he's not blind. He can do math. He can see. There's nobody with them. There's two of them maybe, right, like if he decides to stick around. And they're all alone. They're surrounded by an army. But check out what happens in verse 17. Elisha prays and says, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, the servant, and he saw, and behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When the servant's eyes, spiritual eyes, were opened to see the unseen spiritual realm, he got a totally different perspective on the situation than what he had had before. He saw the situation in a whole new way that he hadn't seen it before. He realized that, in fact, they were not alone. They were not alone. There was so much more going on than what he had previously thought because he just hadn't been able to see it. But now that he sees with spiritual eyes, he sees all this activity, all this support. He realizes that God has not abandoned them. God is with them, and God is doing so much more than he could see with his physical eyes. Now notice this. Elisha did not pray that God would change the situation. He merely prayed that God would open the eyes of the servant to see what God was already doing in that situation. Elisha's prayer didn't change the situation, but it changed the servant's perspective on the situation. The army of angels was already there, whether the servant could see it or not. The only difference is that the servant was now able to see what he had previously not been able to see, but which had been there all along nevertheless. Guys, faith is not imagining things that don't exist. Faith is not wishful thinking or positivity or optimism. Faith is the ability to perceive and believe real things which cannot be seen with the human eye. 
See, this story is massively important when it comes for us, when it comes to you and how you think about your situation and the things that are going on in your life. This is a very important story. Here's why. Because it reminds us that just because you can't see what God is doing in your situation doesn't mean that God isn't at work. Hi everyone, Pastor Nick here from Whitefields Church in Longmont. We're excited to announce the Northern Front Range Calvary Chapel Men's Conference taking place on May 21st and 22nd, hosted at Whitefields Community Church. This year's theme is A New Man from Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. We'll begin the conference on Friday, May 21st at 6.30 p.m. with a time of worship, teaching, and fellowship, and we'll end on Saturday early afternoon with a steak lunch. The cost is $30 per person and spaces are limited, so register soon at whitefieldschurch.com under events. We look forward to seeing you there. Now back to today's message. I'm going to say that again. Just because you can't see what God is doing in your situation doesn't mean that God isn't at work. That's what this story shows us. And oftentimes, there's a lot more going on. God is doing a lot more than what you can see with your eyes. Now check out what happens next, kind of the end of that section we read in verse 18. The Syrians come rushing, charging at Elisha from all sides. And Elisha prays that God will strike them with blindness. And he does. So in the end, no blood is shed. And it's an interesting juxtaposition. Think about this. The servant's eyes are opened so that he can see what he's previously been blind to. But the Syrian, uh, Syrian's eyes are made blind so that they can no longer see what they previously saw. Do you see that juxtaposition about sight that's going on in this story? This is a story which is all about perception. It's all about perception and how we view our situations. This is a story about how oftentimes when we look at our situations, we can't see all that God is doing. But if you could, if you could see your situation the way that God sees it, if you could see just for a moment all that God is doing, it would totally change the way that you think, the way that you feel. It would totally change your entire approach to that situation. And since we oftentimes can't see all that God is doing in any particular situation, what we need is faith. We need faith to believe what he says, even when we can't see it with our eyes. See, God gives many promises in his word. You know, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God gives this promise to his people. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I love the promise that God gives in Isaiah chapter 41 to his people. Check this out. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, I mentioned that you should take note of that city name, that place where this happened with Elisha and his servant. Do you remember the name of that place? Dothan. Now, why is that important? Here's why. Dothan is important because Dothan is only mentioned two times in the entire Bible. Two times. It's mentioned here in 2 Kings chapter 6 in the story with Elisha. And it's also mentioned in Genesis chapter 37 in the story of Joseph. Two times. Joseph and Elisha. Let's think about Joseph and what happened in Dothan. Joseph was the son of Jacob, who was also called Israel, right? So the 12 sons of Israel became the 12 tribes of Israel. And Joseph was one of Jacob's sons, Israel's sons. And he, he had all these brothers, right? But his dad 
kind of had a bad habit that he inherited from his parents, and that was that he played favorites with his kids. It's like when you come home and you say, hey, kids, I'm home. We're going out for ice cream with one of you, right? Like, oh, that's not as exciting as the other kids thought, right? And so, of course, what does that breed? It breeds resentment, doesn't it? It breeds resentment towards dad, but also towards the brother who's being favorited. And so Jacob uh, treated his son Joseph with favoritism. He was his favorite son from, uh, you know, they had two moms, and he liked that mom better. And so he treated Joseph with favoritism. And essentially, he put Joseph in charge of the family business, even though Joseph was the second youngest of the 12 sons. And you can imagine the older brothers didn't appreciate that. They didn't appreciate, first of all, that their dad showed favoritism to this one brother. They also didn't appreciate being bossed around by their baby brother. And so one day, when they were in a place where it says it was a desolate place, there was no one around to see them, they took the opportunity, and they ambushed Joseph, and they attacked him. And do you know the name of the place where they attacked him? I know you know it. It's Dothan. That's where it took place. It's the only other time in the Bible that we read this city name. Dothan was the place where Joseph's brothers ambushed him, beat him up, almost killed him. They tore off his special coat. They threw him in a pit, which may be like a, a well. And while Joseph was in that pit, there in this city, Dothan, his brothers discussed what they should do with him. Now, most of the brothers said, we'll kill him, and then we'll bring back his coat all torn up and covered in blood, and we'll say, he must have been attacked by an animal, and we found his body, and, uh, you know, oh, it's an accident and a tragedy. But one of the brothers said, no, I have a better idea. Why don't we sell him into slavery? That way we can make some money off of him, and we don't have to live with murder on our consciences. So they all thought that was a good idea. And what the question is, though, remember this. Joseph, this whole time, while they're sitting around discussing what they're going to do with him, what's Joseph doing? He's in this pit, isn't he? And what's he doing while he's in the pit? Well, we're actually told what he was doing. In Genesis 42, we're told that when Joseph was in the pit, while his brothers are discussing what to do with him, Joseph was doing what? He was crying out, begging for mercy, pleading that someone... Even God would help him and rescue him from that situation. Joseph was praying that God would save him from this pit, not allow him to be sold into slavery. And yet, in spite of Joseph's cries, in spite of Joseph's prayers, there in Dothan, that God would rescue him and save him from this terrible situation, nothing happened. And in the end, Joseph was sold as a slave. He was taken to Egypt where he worked as a slave. Years later, he ends up spending time in prison for something he didn't do. All of that took place in Dothan. The prayers that went unanswered in Dothan. The same place where Elijah and his servant were surrounded by the Syrians and they prayed and God rescued them. Joseph prayed in Dothan and God didn't rescue him. But with Joseph, right, in the same place, he prays, he asks for a rescue, God doesn't rescue him. Elisha prays, Elisha gets a miracle. Joseph prays, he gets only silence, no miracle. God allowed Elisha to get a vision and his servant to get a vision of the spiritual reality so they could see what God was doing so it would boost their confidence that God was with them, that God had not abandoned them. But Joseph, he got nothing. He got no vision, he got no answer, he got no explanation, he got silence. And it makes you ask the question, where was God when all of those things were happening to Joseph? Where was God when Joseph was in the pit begging to be rescued? Isn't that the question we always ask when something terrible happens? Where was God, right? Where was God when that calamity hit, when that situation hit? Where was God when I prayed for a miracle or a rescue, but none came? 
What's interesting is that in Joseph's story, we do get the answer to that question, where was God when that happened? But the answer doesn't come for 20 years. 20 years. He doesn't get the answer until finally it becomes clear after 20 years that God had actually been with Joseph every single step of the way the entire time. Every single thing that happened to Joseph from slavery, being sold into slavery, to going to prison for false accusations. It was all part of God's plan. And God's plan to do what? To save Joseph's life, but not only Joseph's life, to save also the lives of many other people, including his brothers, and ultimately, as, as I'll explain, ultimately to save us. You see, despite all appearances to the contrary, what we realize at the end of Josh, or Joseph's life is that God never abandoned Joseph, not even for a moment. Even in the silence, God was with him. Joseph ends up becoming a prominent official in Egypt. And during his time in office in Egypt, there's a great famine. And and Joseph is able to use his position in the Egyptian government to save many lives, including the lives of his brothers. And one of Joseph's brothers is a guy named Judah. And it is from Judah and his lineage that later Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, will be born. In other words, back in Dothan, This place where Joseph's brothers attacked him and Joseph cried out and prayed and asked for a rescue and none came. If Joseph's prayer had been answered the way that he wanted it to be answered, if God had saved him from that situation, then years later, both Joseph and all of his brothers die in the famine and the Messiah doesn't come into the world and we are lost as well. See, what you realize in the end of Joseph's story is that God was right there the entire time, silently orchestrating every single event, even the slavery, even the prison, even the unanswered prayer. That was part of the plan, right? And many others, ultimately, to save us, to save Joseph by bringing Jesus into the world. See, that's why Joseph says at the end of his life, he says this incredible phrase, that at the, the last chapter of the book of Genesis, he says to his brothers in retrospect, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good and for the saving of many lives. Here's what we learn from both of these stories that take place in the city of Dothan. The story of Elisha and the story of Joseph. Here's what we learn. With God, silence is not absence. Do you need to hear that today? With God, silence is not absence. And sometimes when God seems most absent, that's when he's doing his most profound work. See, the eyes of Elisha were open to see what was going on. Joseph's eyes were opened only 20 years later. But in both cases, it was true. And friends, the same is true in your life as well. I hope you know that. I hope you believe that. Listen, in your situation, God is not absent. God is not absent. Even if you can't see how God is working in this situation, even if your prayers aren't being answered the way you hoped they would be, you can be assured that what God says is true, that he is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. These two stories that take place in Dothan, in both cases, God was present and God was working even though people couldn't see it. And you can be assured of this, that whatever situation you find yourself in today, there is a lot more going on than just what you can see. So what might God be doing in your situation? Well, that brings us to our second point, which is the second kind of step in developing God's vision for your situation. And that is this, recognizing God's purpose, recognizing God's purpose in your situation. 
In Joseph's life, we see that many of the situations he found himself in, whether as a slave or as a prisoner or later on as a government official, those things didn't just happen by random chance. Those were situations that were orchestrated and ordained by God. And in God's divine providence, God put Joseph in each of those situations for a purpose. And ultimately, God used all of those situations for Joseph's good and God's greater purpose, right? God's bigger purpose, which was bigger than just Joseph and his comfort and his life. See, many of the situations that Joseph was in were uncomfortable. It's not comfortable to be in prison. It's not comfortable to be a slave. But God had a purpose with them. There was a time in Joseph's life, however, right, when he did have a a comfortable situation. He had a high-paying job. He lived in a nice house as a high-ranking official. That's a pretty comfortable situation to be in. And yet God's purpose, even in Joseph's comfort, wasn't just that Joseph would have a cush job and not have anything to worry about. God had a bigger purpose than just his comfort, even in his comfort. It was so that Joseph could use that position, that opportunity, to do God's work in other people's lives and in the world. And here's why I bring this up. Because as human beings, our tendency, our tendency is to be focused on our own. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have two in-person services on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 11 a.m. And both services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. If you would like to support Be Set Free Radio or the ministry of Whitefields Church in Longmont with a donation, you can send a check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or give a financial gift online at whitefieldschurch.com.